Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. It's the first episode of autumn, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, my favorite season, especially this late part of September through the end of October around Halloween. Cool, crisp mornings that are perfect to walk the dog, but it still warms up enough in the afternoon where you can take your jacket off. Hot cider, pumpkin spice, the trees changing color. Uh, it's my favorite time of year, at least in the mid-Atlantic part of the United States where I live. But nobody wants to hear me wax lyrically about the seasons. You all want to hear about today's book, The Force Unleashed by Sean Williams, a 2008 novel based on the very popular computer game released also in 2008 as part of the largest Lucasfilm multimedia project that did not include the first six movies since Shadows of the Empire in 1996. It's the story of the Starkiller, Darth Vader's secret apprentice, and the formation of the Rebellion. But first, it's listener question time. I have two questions today. The first comes from listener Junior, who says... Hey Aaron, I'm a pretty new listener. Even though I've never read Legends, I love this podcast. I have two questions about your favorite character. It's been stated by George Lucas that Anakin could have been the most powerful Force user, but was severely limited by his injuries on Mustafar. If he is so much more handicapped post-Revenge of the Sith, why, in the novels, canon or Legends, does he ultimately defeat almost every opponent? Even before his injuries, he struggled with Dooku, Grievous, and Ventress. So why does it seem like he is stronger with his injuries when it's specifically stated that they limit him? Second question, although Vader's injuries and therefore his suit limit him, his suit specifically was designed to be bad and more limiting than normal by Palpatine. If Palpatine is such a believer in the Sith and the rule of two, Why would he purposefully limit his apprentice with his suit design? It seems to me Palpatine cares more about staying in power than continuing the strength of Sith secession. Great questions, Junior. Tough ones, too. I don't know if there's ever been a definitive answer on either one. I guess we'd have to ask George Lucas. But I do have some opinions. When Lucas said that Anakin could have been the most powerful Force user, I think the key word is could. But what limited Anakin? Discipline. Anakin always wanted to gain power quickly 
And let's be honest, what we're really talking about here is fighting. Is that really becoming more powerful in the Force? I think Lucas would have an issue with that definition. However, I understand what you're talking about. I saw George Lucas make an analogy once about force potential being similar to athletic potential. An athlete can be naturally gifted, but if they don't work at their craft, they'll never reach their full potential. Now, after Anakin fell to the dark side, lost his limbs, and was imprisoned in his suit, did he eventually become more powerful? I don't think so, but honestly, I don't know. I think one of the things is that Order 66 wiped out most of the Jedi. So, naturally, there were fewer top-notch Force users for Vader to face off with. And I think Vader became very powerful in the dark side of the Force because the Emperor continually challenged Vader to draw on his anger, the wellspring of the dark side. Now, speaking of palps, let's address Junior's second question. If Darth Sidious really believed in the rule of two, why would he put Vader in a suit specifically designed to limit him? Did Palpy really believe in the rule of two? I think this is one of those things that depends on your point of view. The rule of two states that there are only two Sith Lords, one master and one apprentice. The master is obliged to teach the apprentice everything they know, and the apprentice is obliged to learn from the master, then destroy the master when they grow more powerful. Now, I could argue that Palpatine is doing just this. By putting Vader in a suit that severely limits him, Palpatine is actually ensuring that Vader needs to grow more powerful than Palps in order to become the Master. However, the Master can always be looking for someone more powerful than their current apprentice, like Palpatine does telling Anakin to kill Dooku, or telling Luke to kill Vader. From a certain point of view, I would say that Palpatine is following the rule of two. However, in the Legends continuity, there is Palpatine's rule of one, which is basically the culmination of centuries of the Sith accumulating power. With the Jedi Order defeated, and Darth Sidious now controlling the known galaxy, that's it. The Sith have won. So Palpatine decided that he wanted to stay in power, creating clones that he could transfer his consciousness into. And, let's face it, it seems like that story was used and brought over into canon in the sequel trilogy. Thank you very much for the email, Junior. Today's second question comes from listener John on Twitter. John says, What's your favorite book that's part of a series that could be a standalone book? For me, it's Millennium Falcon by James Luceno. It's kind of the unofficial start of the Fate of the Jedi series. I loved learning about the history of the Falcon. Thank you very much for the question, John. I don't remember a whole lot about that book. I've only read Millennium Falcon once, and it was a long time ago. I think it was right around 2009 when the mass market paperback edition was published. 
So I can't really say I remember exactly what you're talking about. But don't worry, we'll get to Millennium Falcon at some point, not in 2023, maybe in 2024. Anyway, to answer your question, I decided to choose one book from both a Legend series and a Canon series. And I decided not to include The Revenge of the Sith novelization by Matthew Stover, which is 100% the correct answer to this question. It's the best Star Wars book I've ever read. And it's part of the unofficial Rise of Darth Vader trilogy in the Legends continuity. But honestly, that's too easy. So, my favorite book from Legends that is part of a series that could be its own standalone is Traitor from the New Jedi Order series, also written by Matthew Stover. And my favorite in canon is Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston. Honestly, I'm not really sure either of them work great as a standalone novel. Queen's Shadow probably works a little better than Traitor does, but both of them contain stories that are isolated within their respective series. Traitor is a bit of a polarizing book, I admit. It's different from most legend stories, and it's very different from the other books in the New Jedi Order series. It's the story of Jason Solo facing isolation and torture and learning to use the Force in a different way. Some people like me really like it, and others really don't, and that's absolutely fine. Queen Shadow is about Padme Amidala's first year as a senator on Coruscant, while one of her handmaidens runs secret missions for her. Now, I like the book. It's not one of my favorite canon novels, but my favorite stories in canon of the ones that I've read are either just standalone stories, like Rebel Rising by Beth Revis, or they are definitely part of a series, like Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. Queen Shadow is the first book in E.K. Johnston's Padme trilogy, but the books are structured as three separate stories that only interconnect at the very end. So, in Legends, it's Traitor by Matthew Stover, and in Canon, it's Queen Shadow by E.K. Johnston. Thank you very much for the question, John. Now, if you want to be really cool like John and Junior and have a question answered on the show, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Or if you'd like to get your voice on the show, you can record yourself and email it in. Just please record your file in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Now it's time to dive into today's book, The Force Unleashed by Sean Williams. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Today's plot recap is going to be a little different than others that I've done because the book is just basically the video game. Every few chapters is a level in the game, so just a disclaimer for anyone who hasn't played the Force Unleashed game yet and still wants to go into it unspoiled. That being said, let's get into it. The story begins in a secret level of Darth Vader's Star Destroyer. For years, Vader has trained a secret apprentice, 
codenamed Starkiller, to help Vader overthrow the Emperor. The training includes isolation, torture, and lightsaber dueling with a droid named Proxy that can look like and emulate the lightsaber fighting styles of different Jedi. Vader tells Starkiller he needs to become more powerful before the two of them are ready to overthrow the Emperor. But Starkiller can only gain so much experience fighting Proxy and other droids. It's time for the Apprentice to leave Vader's secret lair. The Dark Lord orders Starkiller to hunt down and destroy Jedi that escaped Order 66. His first target is General Rom Kota, a Jedi who survived Order 66 because he refused to lead clones into battle. Instead, Kota led a personal militia of his own volunteer troops. When the Clone Wars ended, General Kota allied himself with Senator Bail Organa of Alderaan, stealing information and performing hit-and-run strikes on the outskirts of the Empire. Vader assigns former TIE fighter captain Juno Eclipse to fly Starkiller in the Rogue Shadow, a small, fast transport ship equipped with a cloaking shield. The two set off with proxy to the smuggler's moon of Nar Shaddaa. They find General Kota attacking a TIE fighter construction station orbiting the moon. Starkiller fights his way through both members of Kota's militia and Imperial stormtroopers, eventually finding the former Jedi general in the station control room. The duel is fierce, but short. Starkiller defeats General Kota quickly, blinding the Jedi with a blast of Sith lightning. Just as he's about to execute the Jedi, Kota has a vision. He tells the apprentice that Vader won't always be Starkiller's master, and that the two of them will meet again. Starkiller casts General Kota out of the station and destroys it to cover his existence. When Starkiller returns and presents Rom Kota's lightsaber to Vader, the Dark Lord orders him on another mission, to the junk planet Raxus Prime, to kill the insane Jedi droid builder Kazdan Paratus. When they arrive on the planet, Juno drops Starkiller in an area controlled by Rodian Scrappers. Starkiller fights through the gang to a huge junk version of the Jedi Temple. Inside, Starkiller finds the insane Alina Jedi Master inside a huge droid wielding an enormous lightsaber. Again, the fighting is fierce, but a blast of Sith lightning overloads the droid, frying Paratus inside. When he presents the Jedi's lightsaber to Vader, Starkiller begs for the chance to go after the Emperor, but the Dark Lord refuses again and orders his apprentice on one more mission. This time, Starkiller is sent to Felucia to execute Master Shock T. He fights through the deadly plant life and native Felucian warriors, finding the Togrutan Jedi meditating on the mouth of the largest Sarlacc in the galaxy. Starkiller duels with the Jedi while dodging the Sarlacc's tentacles. He draws on the dark side and kills Master Shakti. As she dies, the Jedi Master leaves Starkiller with some ominous words. The Sith will always betray each other, given time. Starkiller blasts Shakti with Sith lightning, throwing her into the Sarlacc. Another blast of lightning destroys the Sarlacc, covering up Starkiller's activities. When the Apprentice returns to Vader's Star Destroyer, the Dark Lord says it's finally time to challenge Palpatine, who's arrived with the fleet. But it's a trap. The Emperor has known about Vader's Apprentice the entire time. 
To prove his loyalty to his master, the Emperor orders Vader to kill Starkiller, which he does, stabbing him with his lightsaber and blasting him out into space. Vader orders Juno taken into custody and sent to a prison facility at the border of Imperial space. Flash forward a few months, and Starkiller awakens aboard a medical station orbiting an unknown star. He's alive, he seems unharmed, and Proxy is there. When Starkiller rises from the medical bay, Proxy transforms into the vision of Vader. The Dark Lord tells Starkiller that he saved his apprentice and whisked him away to heal on this medical station to fool the Emperor. Vader tells his apprentice that the Emperor has become paranoid about rising dissidents across the galaxy. He orders Starkiller to build a rebellion to distract the Emperor. Only then can Vader and his apprentice get close enough to destroy Palpatine. Starkiller and Proxy flee the station, finding Juno in the detention block. Vader sends the three of them to Cloud City, where Starkiller finds General Rom Kota. The Jedi Master had survived their lightsaber duel but it left Kota blind. Starkiller asks the general if he knows anyone they can recruit to oppose the Empire. Kota sends them to Kashyyyk, where Starkiller finds a teenage girl in an old hut, detained by stormtroopers. He frees the young woman and destroys the Imperial facility, but not before he has a vision of his father and learning his real name, Galen. The vision shocks Starkiller. His father was a Jedi and killed by Vader, who then stole young Galen and raised him to be his dark apprentice. Galen asks the young woman to come with him, but she refuses, saying she's going to continue to try and free the Wookiees from Imperial slavery. When Galen returns to the rogue shadow, General Kota tells him the young woman was actually Princess Leia Organa, the daughter of his friend, Senator Bail Organa. Coda says if they want to start a rebellion, they'll need Bale's help. The search for Senator Organa leads them back to Felucia, where Galen finds the senator being held by Shakti's Padawan, Maris Brood. With her master's death, Maris became corrupted by the dark side of the Force. Galen is forced to battle Maris and an enormous rancor. He defeats them both, and just as Galen is about to execute Maris, she begs for her life. She promises to turn away from the dark side of the Force and return to the light. Galen frees Bail Organa and lets Maris disappear into the jungle. Back on the ship, Galen and Kota tell Bail about their plan to oppose the Empire. The Senator says he has friends in the Senate, Mon Mothma and Garmbel Iblis. They'll join them, but first, they need an event to coalesce around, to destroy something important to the Empire. Galen contacts Vader in secret. The Dark Lord gives him a target back on Raxus Prime, a Star Destroyer construction facility. Galen uses a cannon designed to shoot scrap metal into orbit to blast the facility, and then draws on the Force to pull a Star Destroyer down onto the planet, covering their escape. With the destruction of the facility, the Rebel leaders decide they are ready to publicly voice their opposition to the Empire. But the meeting is interrupted by Vader, who praises Starkiller for getting the Emperor's enemies all in one place, revealing Galen to be a traitor. The Dark Lord betrays Galen, 
and tries to kill him again. But before Vader can finish him off, Proxy distracts the Dark Lord, allowing Galen to drop over a ledge and escape. In the chaos, Juno saves Galen, and the two flee on the rogue shadow. Juno slices into an Imperial computer network and learns the four rebel leaders have been taken to a giant space station, the Death Star. They infiltrate the system where construction on the station was finishing. When Juno drops Galen off, he frees a team of four Wookiee slaves and fights to a control room where Vader and the Emperor are holding the four rebel leaders. Galen confronts Vader and defeats him, but... Just as Galen is about to destroy his former master, the Emperor attacks General Kota with Sith lightning, forcing Galen to make a choice. If he kills Vader, the Emperor will kill the rebel leaders. If he stops the Emperor, the rebels will escape, but Vader will live. Galen leaps to Kota's aid, taking the Emperor's lightning to his chest. Juno lands with the rogue shadow and gathers up the rebel leaders. She waits for Galen, but he's too wounded. The Starkiller dies, sacrificing himself for the Rebellion. Time for a break. When we come back, I'll talk more about the Force Unleashed. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thanks for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to suggest a book from Star Wars canon. Queen's Peril is the story of young Padme Amidala in the first few weeks after she's elected Queen of Naboo. Joined by a group of young women with extraordinary skills, Padme and her handmaidens learn how to govern while the threat of the Trade Federation looms over the planet. That's Queen's Peril, by E.K. Johnston. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today's book is The Force Unleashed by Sean Williams, part of the Force Unleashed multimedia project by Lucasfilm in 2008. Doing the plot summary of this book was pretty tough this time, because honestly... It is basically, beat for beat, the video game. There's not a whole lot of character development. There's not a whole lot of emotion. It is simply, board one, you do this, you defeat the Jedi Master at the end. Board two, you do this, you defeat the Jedi Master at the end. And so on and so on. Honestly, it was a little difficult reading this book. Now, I've told you before, I'm not really a person who enjoys playing video games. I've never played The Force Unleashed. I've never played The Force Unleashed 2. There are very few Star Wars video games that I have actually played. Really, it's just the first level of Dark Forces way back in the mid-90s. And I have played a few boards on the new Lego Star Wars game that was released earlier this year. But other than that, I don't have a whole lot of experience with Star Wars video games. But that's not really what we talk about on this show. I talk about the Legends novels. The difficulty with this one was the novel, while yes, technically an adaptation of the video game, 
for me, I think it just needed to be more book-like, if you guys understand what I'm trying to say. It just felt like I was reading a playthrough of the video game. Honestly, I found it a little boring at times. Now, there were a handful of parts where you got Juno's inner thoughts. I don't know if those are in the game or not. I'm going to assume they're not. Some of the stuff that Juno thinks about is interesting. Her backstory about a mission gone wrong and how she became a disgraced TIE fighter pilot. The fact that her father stopped talking to her because of the incident. She feels betrayed when Vader betrays Starkiller halfway through the book and places her under arrest. She actually believes, initially, when they escape, in Starkiller's quest to fight back against Vader and the Empire. But she learns that, actually, this is just a cover, that Starkiller is still working for Vader. And she's extremely conflicted about it. She wants to tell General Kota about what Starkiller is doing, but she's afraid because, of course, Kota was the first person that they were assigned to take out. She's afraid that if she tells the Jedi General about Starkiller, that there's a good chance their cover will be blown. And either Kota will kill them, or the Empire will find out that they've escaped and they'll be executed that way. I understand the part of the story where Kota is basically training Starkiller on using the Force. That part is not believable at all to me. I understand it. I just don't believe it. If General Kota really is a Jedi Master, it doesn't really matter if he has his eyes or not. In my opinion, he should be able to tell who this man is that he's helping. Not that he would know his name or anything, but his force presence would basically be the same as the person that defeated him and blinded him. Now, maybe General Kota did know that the entire time. If he did, I don't remember that recognition in the story. I think I would have enjoyed this book more if it was similar to the way the Shadows of the Empire multimedia project came about. Yes, there was a video game. Oh, oh, and I did play that game, too. I forgot. I did play the Shadows of the Empire video game. I remember the first board, the Battle on Hoth. That was the most fun board in that game. It was an N64 game. When you were flying the Outrider, they were still pretty cool. But when you were actually just Dash Rendar and running around, man, those controls were terrible. Uh, those of you that played that game on the N64, I think you can attest to that. 
Anyway, I'm getting off topic. What I liked about that multimedia campaign is the novel and the comic that went along with the video game was not a beat-for-beat retelling of the video game. Shadows of the Empire didn't just follow Dash Rendar around. It was mostly about Luke and Leia for two different plot lines. And Dash would pop in and out of both stories. I kind of wish Lucasfilm did that for this one. Because reading a story that is just telling what is happening in a video game does not make an interesting story, in my opinion. One thing I did find interesting about The Force Unleashed is that George Lucas had direct input on the video game. I know I talk a lot of times about how George was kind of hands-off with stories and legends. For the most part, that is true. You know, most of the time he always claimed that those authors could do whatever they want. However, there are some instances where it seems like Lucas stepped in and made some decisions. Whatever. I, it doesn't really matter to me how much say George had or not. But I do find it interesting that he seemed to have a decent amount of say on The Force Unleashed. And I find that interesting because George has said that Darth Vader did not have a secret apprentice. So if George has always said that Vader did not have a secret apprentice, why greenlight a video game where you play as Darth Vader's secret apprentice? I just find that interesting. And I know Starkiller is a fan favorite of a lot of people. There's a young guy that I work with. In fact, he's only 20, 21, maybe 22 years old. So when The Force Unleashed came out, he was only like seven or eight. I doubt he played it at that time. He probably played it when he was maybe 10 or 11 or whatever it is. But he says he's always loved that video game. And he's always wanted Galen Merrick to somehow come back into Star Wars. So one day at lunch at work, he and I got in a conversation and he asked me how I thought that could happen. You know, he's not die in the weeds Star Wars like I am. He doesn't read the books. He likes the movies. He watches some of the television shows. So we got in this conversation as to how Galen Merrick could become canon. First off, my opinion, there could never be Starkiller. Again, Lucas said Darth Vader never had a secret apprentice. And regardless of what people think, some of the storylines have been since Lucas sold Star Wars to Disney, I do believe that most people that work at Lucasfilm still want to honor Lucas's thoughts and visions for the saga. So Vader's never going to have a secret apprentice, in my opinion. But could Galen Merrick 
be made canon? Absolutely. We could learn of a former Jedi named Galen Merrick that was killed in Order 66. Or he could be put in a different time period. There could be a Galen Merrick character that comes up in the High Republic. Or if Lucasfilm ever decides that they want to do something in the Old Republic, they could have a Galen Merrick character. He could be nicknamed Starkiller because of some event that happens. There could be a villain named Galen Merrick, nicknamed Starkiller, that could come about at any point in time. And he doesn't even have to be a force wielder. But I think the closest we could ever get to Starkiller, as the character is portrayed in The Force Unleashed, would possibly be one of the Inquisitors hunting Jedi that escaped Order 66. There are still a handful of Inquisitors that we have not met yet based upon their numbering system. Or one of the ones we have met could be Galen Merrick. But of course they go by fifth brother, eighth brother, fourth brother, whatever. That might be a sister. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember which ones the brothers and the sisters are off the top of my head. But one of those could be named Galen Merrick. So I do think there are a number of ways we could see Starkiller become canon. I don't think it will be easy. I don't think that it will actually be done. But it could happen. And for all of you out there that are big Starkiller fans... I hope it happens for you guys. I really do. Now, we're getting close to the end of the show, but before we wrap up, we have another Starfighter Squadron. Well, not really. It's another fantasy dive ball team. Remember, it's one Force user, one non-Force user, a pilot, a droid, a wildcard character, and a ship. This dive ball team comes from listener Joe whose team is made completely out of characters that we have seen on the screen. Joe's Force user is Ahsoka Tano. His non-Force user, Chewbacca. Pilot, Harris Syndulla from Rebels. Droid, R2-D2. His wild card is Fives from the Clone Wars animated show. And his ship, the Mandalorian's Razor Crest. Nice team, Joe. I'm going to say that team is at least making the playoffs in our fantasy league, which only plays games in my head and isn't actually real. So take that for what it's worth. But that team probably makes the playoffs. Well, time to wrap up. If you have any questions or comments for the show, please email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send a tweet at legendslounge1. Or if you want to get your voice on the show, you can record your own audio file and email it in. Just please record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. And keep sending me in your Star Wars favorite character fighter squadrons, or your fantasy die ball teams, or honestly, whatever you want. Who are you inviting to your ideal Sabat game? Or your ideal life day dinner party? How about a road trip? Whatever you want. 
let's make this as zany as possible. Now, coming up on the next episode, it's the sequel book, The Force Unleashed 2, by Sean Williams. Look for that episode to release on October 14th. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.